The reading from the Old Testament tonight is from Isaiah 24 and 26. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done, they lift up their voices, they sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away. Woe is me, for the traitors, ha for the traitors have betrayed. With betrayal the traitors have betrayed. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Oh God, we're so needy. Our city is so needy. We need your power, we need your justice, we need your grace, we need your hope. And we know that you've called us here. We didn't call you to meet with us, you've called us to meet with you. And so we trust and thank you for advance, in advance, for the good things that you will do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are working our way through this series on renewal, and tonight we come to the idea of the renewed city. And this really hits on two core values of our Grace DC network. One is renewal, the idea that God is about the business of renewing things, but also what we often refer to as our theology of place. Now, you'll find in other faiths, for instance, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, that there might be emphasis upon a holy city a holy place. But it's in the Christian faith, as you read the scriptures, you see that there is an emphasis upon the significance and the importance of the whole place, earth, and the city. In the pages of scripture, you find a lot of attention to the city because the city has a unique place, a unique power. It radiates out influence into the world. And so it's only right and fitting that God would speak to us about the city. And in every city, uh, there are two cities being built. There's a city being built uh, that is being built according to the vision of God and for his glory and for the strength and health and flourishing of its inhabitants. 
But there's also another city that's being built at the same time, and that is the city of man, a city that we attempt to build by our own power and through our own vision and by our own strength. And in this passage of Isaiah, he's basically talking about these two cities, but he refers to them by these, in these ways. He compares the strong city and the weak city. Our hope at Grace Downtown is for a strong city. No one ought to have a greater hope and desire for Washington, D.C. than the churches of Washington, D.C. We are to be city positive and city hopeful, but also city sober. How will this work happen? I want to take some time tonight and compare and contrast the strong city and the weak city as we think about our own community here, our own city. For Isaiah, that city that was weak and man-centered was Babylon. You know, Babylon was one of the great ancient cities of glory. And Israel was conquered by Babylon. The youth were carted off by it. And so Isaiah has Babylon before him, but you find throughout the Bible, Babylon is mentioned after Babylon is gone because Babylon represents more than just the city. It represents a spirit. That spirit, again, of a a, uh, city that seeks to do its own work and do its own glory. And there is both the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Babylon in the spirit of Washington, D.C., And so let's see if we can understand these things so that we can grow together. So I want to make three comparisons and contrast. The first is between the worshipful city and the wasted city. Now, if you look at that verse in the first passage, we read, the wasted city is broken down. That word wasted is the same word that you find in the book of Genesis before the creation was made. It's basically a translation, formless, without form, uh, something that has not yet reached its purpose and its value and its meaning. And so the weak or wasted city is the city that can't live up to its potential, that doesn't understand its purpose and its value. Uh, A wonderful scholar of the book of Isaiah said this about our passage, talking about that city. Without the ordering, life-giving hand of God, the formless city opts for a life on its own, within itself, depending on itself. Consequently, it is unstable and without purpose, spinning on the wheel but having dismissed the potter. Life is simply one thing after another. Rejecting the moral absolutes, everything is relative and ultimately individualistic. Humankind's great world city is the city without meaning. Now, you can have a city that is considered uh, developed in the most progressive ways, you know, developed economically, developed culturally, but still being a city that is a wasted city. Because in a sense, the citizens are very adept at building what I'll call a surface city. A city that has all the right things in place. It has nice parks. It has good condos to live in. It has good baseball teams and, you know, basketball teams, things like that. Things that we enjoy and things that are wonderful things. 
but it's a surface city because that's where it stops. And they never arrive at building what I'll call a soul city, a city that understands its deeper purpose, its deeper meaning, an eternal purpose. See, the, the thing that we get into when we get apart from God is we, we, we just live lives in reaction. I mean, we know this from our own lives. You're just sort of doing what's before you. You get impulse and you act on it. You only see the moment that you're in. And when you look back in history, you don't really see the impact for the future. This is the characteristic of a weak city. And the residents of the weak city, they may enjoy the amenities and the pleasures, but they're restless. It doesn't do it. It's reflected in a very, I think, uh, poignant way where Isaiah says this in chapter, uh, the verses before the ones we read, where he says, in this city the wine mourns, merry-hearted sigh, tambourines are stilled, strong drink tastes bitter. You're partying, but you're not getting the buzz. You're not getting the satisfaction. And then later in our reading, it says there's a cry out for more wine. So you're crying out for something that you know really isn't doing it for. Isn't this the cycle of addiction? It's a common experience that people will come to cities for a buzz. They might come to cities for a career buzz. You know, I want to go there and I want to swim with the big fish and I want to make my mark. Or maybe they come to the city for a pleasure buzz. I want to enjoy the nightlife. Or maybe it's they come for that accomplishment buzz. You know, it's almost like climbing a mountain. I've gone to the big city and I've been able to do my experience in there and leave. But what happens is if that's your mindset, you'll never be able to stay in the city. You'll get bored or you'll just, you know, you, it, it'll be inch deep. And typically folks like that will leave. They can't stay for long. And that's an approach, what we would call using the city. This is a marker of the weak city. People are there to use it, not love and serve the common good. This is so different from what we see in the beginning of the book of Genesis, where God takes the man and the woman, and he lays before them the world and all its potential. It's fruitful. It's pregnant with potential. And he says, develop you know, have dominion. One of the phrases that we might use for this is we're called to cultural gardening. Adam and Eve were called not just to develop a garden, they were developed, called to develop a culture. They were called to actually build cities and build out the earth. That's what we'll do on the new heavens and the new earth. Get back to the task. We do it now, but as we do it now, we face thorns and thistles, hardships and difficulties. And as we do that, you know, we get glimpses of it now. I mean, one of the things about cities are they are great places of potential. When cities are working right, they gather together people and they bring their best thoughts and their best creativity and their excellence and they sharpen each other. And out of cities, you get, you know, ideally uh, cutting edge uh, products and cutting edge ideas and services and policies. It's a place of great potential. But sin and selfishness gets in the way of that. It thwarts that project. And the antidote for that is the worshipful city. Now, I've mentioned before, that, that may seem like sort of a, you know, worship. How in the world do we get there from worship? Well, if you understand the historic meaning of that word, worth-ship. W-R-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. What we deem is valuable, what we understand to be something of great worth. 
And so we're all worshiping all the time. I mean, you can't not be a worshiping being. You know that. I mean, it comes out when you're watching your sports teams or listening to the music you love. Uh, recently, my daughter Madeline was in town for college, and she brought some of her friends back. And, um, and I want to say this as a word encouragement to parents. It encouraged me. Uh, as she was coming into the city with her friends, she texted me and said, tear in my eyes, I see the city. So, you know, what a wonderful thing. You know, God imparts this love for the city into our children as they grow up. And man, oh man, uh, she ran her friends dead. I mean, they went everywhere. By Saturday night, they were just like, ah. Well, one of the things they did, they went to the 930 Club. And uh, she showed me some video. It may have been selected video. I don't know. Some video of the show. But basically, you know, you're watching, you know, these people all sort of, you know, going, you know, going like that. Someone from another planet would go, what's going on? What are they doing? It's worship. It's worship. Or you see it advertised. Last night I was watching TV and NBC had a commercial on where they're showing all these athletic scenes and moments and words are popping up. And you're seeing words like sweat, work, love. And then what comes on the screen? Worship. I thought, wow. Interesting word choice, right? We might look at that stuff as almost worship. But it's basically understanding the value of the city. But how do you get there? This only makes sense. You can only begin to understand worship or worship if you begin with the source of worth. And that is God. The one of all beauty, the one of all creativity, the one of justice, the one of goodness. And so it's no surprise that the, the strong city is filled with praise. They lift their voices, sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They're connected to who God is and their creator. From the ends of the earth of glory to the righteous one. It's when you and I begin to do that, we begin to see the true potential of the city. It's through seeing God that generosity supplants greed in a city. It's through our contact with God that poverty succumbs to provision. It's through our relationship with Christ that selfish ambition is replaced by godly ambition. And there is such a thing as godly ambition. You know, some, someday uh, either Mike and I need to do a sermon on uh, godly competition. God has made us to have ambition. And it's through our relationship in the kingdom of God we understand the city's not just for elites or the dominant, but for everyone. Typically, people that want to hold on to power and dominant culture don't like cities because cities are so diverse. And you can't maintain that little world if you come to the city. And you see these things in the ministry of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes to the city, the strong city emerges. What do you find? You find a tax collector who's corrupt, who's using the people of the city, repents and restores what he has taken many times over. You find the invisible of the city become visible. The people that were just walked past, Jesus pulls into the spotlight and lifts up. The Christian church should do the same thing in this city. This is our call and our task, and this is what we do. And as we do that, we get a glimpse of the final city that God is building. It's often said that the Christian faith begins in a garden, but it ends with a city. 
And as we were doing this business together in the city, people are getting a glimpse of something more. In the book of Revelation, you see the city of God finally descends on earth. The bride, the people of God, and God is present. There's no more alienation in the city. And we also find that it's a city of every tribe, tongue, and nation where God gathers together his global bride. We find it's a place where the nations are said to bring their glory into the gates of the city. They bring their culture. They bring their gifts and their talents. And we find in that city there's a river that runs through it and there is a tree of life the leaves of which heal people a place of healing a place of life this is what we want Washington DC to grow more and more to be let's forget about coolest city let's forget about most educated city let's think about you know the city where you can get healed wouldn't that be wild the city where you find yourself empowered. In ancient cities, oftentimes the tallest building was a monument to the god. In modern cities are the same way. Often the grandest buildings and the tallest buildings preach the god of that city. You know, if you're in Boston, it might be the god of education. In New York, it might be, you know, uh, the buildings of money and finance, wherever it would be. In Washington, the government, the power. But the character of our city is supposed to reflect the character of God. And so in chapter 26, what we read is those in the strong city have this praise. We have a strong city because God sets up salvation as walls. So that's the first thing about uh, the comparison. Worshipful city versus wasted city. Let's do these other ones a little bit more briefly. The peaceful city versus the fearful city. I want you to notice how the wasted city is described. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. All joy has grown dark. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. It's a fearful place. You can walk around Washington, D.C. and still see homes and residents with bars on the doors and bars on the windows. And those are typically the homes of people that lived here the longest because they were living in the age, uh, in the days where, you know, Washington had won the informal title of murder capital of the world, right? But even in these days, we're not without fear. Recent months with the spikes in crime, which appear to be random to us, we've had people in our own congregation suffer that trauma, experience that. Living in the city can be a fearful place, Yet fences and bars can also speak of another fear. I remember some years ago, we live on Capitol Hill and Potomac Gardens, which is one of the government housing places there. There was a, a little bit of a local thing going on where um, uh, about a fence around Potomac's garden, but it wouldn't be what you thought. You would think it would be, well, people want a fence. People in the city want a fence to keep any threatening things out. But it wasn't that. It was the residents saying, we want to keep our fence up. And I thought, what does that say about those that live outside that fence? Where someone would say, I'd rather be fenced in because I don't feel accepted outside of this fence. There can be fear of acceptance that we live in in this city. But also desolation, a city of rubble. You know, we've all seen pictures of a city that's in rubble because bombs and of war. But this is the strange thing. You can have a city that is beautiful and developed but for some people, they see rubble because they don't have access to resources that they need. 
And in our city, of course, one of those is housing, right? Um, I know there, there, some of us here that think, man, I would, I would love to make my longtime home. How do I do that? Or those that are poor that can't find a place to live. There was an article, it seems like every week there's an article about housing, but a couple weeks ago, you may have seen it, an article in the Post about Congress Heights and uh, an apartment complex, government housing, across from the new Wizards practice facility. And in that, some residents spoke about where they lived, the desolation that they live in. One woman says she hasn't had heat in five years and uses her oven for warmth. Another resident said it took five days for the landlord to repair her toilet. She and her family began using a bucket. And the smell of garbage and sewage leaked perpetually from a ground floor apartment that was abandoned more than a year ago. A lawyer for the Washington Legal Clinic of the Homeless said this, the only apartments left in DC that are affordable, defined as under 800 a month, are subsidized units. The DC market is so out of control that if you're displaced from a rent-controlled apartment, it is essentially impossible to find housing. You can have a city that is developed and have many things, but really have rubble underneath it. In contrast to that, we're talk, told about a peaceful city. The strong city is a peaceful city. And let me say on the front end, that word peace in Hebrew, shalom, means communal well-being well in every direction. We'll get into a moment how it speaks to personal peace, but many times modern people hear that word peace and we think about ourselves. But the, but the Hebrew understanding is peace that affects the entire city. One of the things we notice is the cry is about this strong city, peace, peace. That repetition is saying this is true peace, not false peace. This is authentic peace. This is peace that everybody can get in on. I mean, so often, I want the city to serve my peace. You know, I want the metro to work because of my agenda and my schedule. I want the sirens to stop just so I can go outside and sit and have a little peace. I want my neighbor to get rid of their cat litter because on a humid day, it's really unpleasant, right? All of us can look through the lens of saying, I want this city to give me peace. But the people of God look at it in a reverse way. We begin to look out and say, I want to bring peace to this city. I want to be a servant of peace where I am. But there's also an aspect of personal peace. I'd mentioned cities can be fearful places to live. And it may mean just fear of safety. It may be fear of your job security. You know, fear of being able to be here and find friendships. And we find here, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Trust the Lord, the everlasting rock. Did you notice here where the mind is stayed? It's not looking to the city or circumstances to get my peace. My mind is stayed on God, and therefore, peace comes from the inside out. I'm radiating peace. Jesus in John 16.33, literally before all hell broke loose, said to his disciples this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In me you have peace, is what he's saying. It's through Christ. Until you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, the God of Peace, you will never really be peaceful. You won't have a shot at it. I invite you to come to the God of peace, to find the one that has established peace for you through his son. 
his death for you, his resurrection. When you look at the first uh, family in the Bible, the first brothers, of course, there's a traumatic event. Cain kills his brother Abel. Cain is not in relationship with the Lord, and he's fearful then of his own life. And what he does is he goes, builds his own city, but it's a city of his own self-protection. In the weak city is that. A, city, uh, a weak city is a city that's built basically for our own protection and our own needs. And so what we want to do is build a city whereby things that would threaten us get pushed away. Maybe you've even had the thought before, you know, I wish all these threatening, troubling things and people would just go away. The city would be a nicer place. That's the mindset that can infiltrate the weak city mindset, the city that doesn't have faith. I was thinking about a story of uh, one of our members. They're, they're no longer uh, attending here. They moved to Richmond. But uh, they were at our 10th anniversary, and Susie Austin uh, stood up and gave a, a short thanks, but I wish we would have had more time for you all to hear her story there. But Susie would say, she was living in, uh, out in McLean for years, and she said, I was a Girl Scout mom, and God broke my heart over the city. I just began to love and weep over the city, and so she and Stan moved into Petworth. And there they were living amidst, you know, many different sorts of people and many different needs. And I'll tell you, that little family and that relationship created a ministry in our church for the first couple years. I mean, people, there are still people in our church that serve that ministry. They were changed by the faith that brought them into the city. And so this piece is this idea that God will work even through us. He can. And the way we begin to apply this very personally, I read something this week, and I thought it was really helpful about peace. It said, what's the formula for peace? The formula for peace is this, prayer plus faith. You know, if you go to that passage in Philippians 4, and Paul talks about getting peace and anxiety, he says you pray to God, but you just don't pray. You give thanks. Thanksgiving is the act of faith. Prayer plus faith equals peace. I was, uh, you know, came across the uh, account of an old Puritan, Matthew Henry. I mean, he wrote a big commentary in the Bible, really a prolific guy. But one day he got mugged, and uh, he, he began to reflect on that experience and began to give thanks. And this is what he said. He gave thanks for four things. He said, I am thankful that I was never, uh, I was thankful that I was never robbed before. I'm thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. I'm thankful, although he took all I had, it wasn't much. And lastly, I am glad that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. As you and I begin to think about peace in the city, we take it from the inside out, and it gives us different eyes. This is the mindset of a strong city. But lastly, the strong seed is a humble city versus an arrogant city. We're told, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the lofty city. He lays it low, cast it to the dust. Now, Babel, right, the tower of, uh, rather, Babylon was the city of great glory. Nebuchadnezzar actually stood up one day and said, is this not Babylon that I have built for my own glory? God took note of that. He actually uh, gave uh, Nebuchadnezzar a little time uh, with the animals in the pastures. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind for a little bit of time, and then he came back to himself. But when you think about great cities through history, we have to humbly reckon, even with our great city, we have to recognize that 
The stones are what's left. The stones are what left. I was listening last night to a song by uh, Sting, and it's a song you occasionally hear on the radio all this time. It's a great song. But in the last verse, this is what he says. Teachers told us the Romans built this place. They built a wall and a temple on the edge of the empire garrison town. They lived and they died. They prayed to their gods, but the stone gods did not make a sound. And their empire crumbled till all that was left were the stones that the workmen found. This is the destiny of the weak city. No matter how strong and glorious it is in the moment, this is what will happen. It's only God that can create an everlasting city. Cities ultimately fall and crumble. Why? Because of the economy? No. Ultimately because of war? No. Ultimately because of poverty? No. They ultimately fall because of pride. Pride is behind all those things. An arrogant city suffers that destiny. And it's easy for us to turn the city into that sort of a proving ground for my pride. We can make the city my great project to make myself great. You know, the sense that I can conquer it. Like the old song, right? New York, New York. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. We make it this place of arrogance. But instead we find in the gospel something else. The gates are open. The open gates of the city, Isaiah say, are for the righteous, not just anybody. And the righteous, essentially, are the humble, because they're people that know they're not righteous by their own doing. They could succeed in the city, they could accomplish everything, but it will not make them righteous before God, because it won't cover up the selfishness, and it won't cover up the greed, and it won't cover up the envy. The only thing that can do that is the righteousness of God, the grace of God which he gives to you and I happens through Christ, the glorious gospel where you find the Lord of all cities is crucified where? Outside of the city. Instead of being in that holy place and having his throne, he takes our place. He's crucified outside of the city, the, the city, the place of desolation, alienation, the place of shame. Christ bears the judgment for a city sinners so he can redeem the city. So he can make it a place of shalom, and it begins in our hearts. And so there's some characteristics about the humble that I want to leave you with. First of all, the humble find their righteousness not in the city itself. They find it in God. They find it in God. Thirdly, the righteous don't disdain the city. Churches have had not great track records in cities. Many times, the churches that were in cities, they would basically build a fortress and lob grenades over it. And when things went wrong in the city, they go, aha, I told you so. There was disdain for the city. But what you find here in Isaiah, it says that the righteous mourn over the wicked of the city because they, they reject the wisdom of God, and desolation happens. They mourn. And so we are able to celebrate every good in the city, but we also mourn over the things that don't work well. And lastly, though the righteous have a path that's made level, they still have to wait for the city to come. I've said this before, but the only way our ministry is going to endure here, and the only way we're going to be able to remain in the city, is if we keep one eye on this city and one eye on the heavenly city. You know, or you will be a victim to the typical Washington cycle where you're coming bright-eyed, and then you'll become cynical, and then you'll leave. Or you'll just, you know, end up doing something in life. 
And the only way that you and I, because what happens is there's such, you know, it's two steps forward and five steps back sometimes. But God is accomplishing his work, my friends. We see it all the time. I had a chance uh, Saturday night, or rather Friday night, and many of you were there to go to Little Lights, one of our partner ministries, 20th anniversary. And what a celebration it was. I mean, here you have Steve, who is such an unassuming dude. And he's this unassuming dude and his wife, Mary. And God, you know, does this work in his heart. And he comes to the city not on a white horse. He comes to the city with his need. And he begins to love people in Potomac Gardens. And what God does there is really so encouraging. You find people becoming empowered. You find job creation. You find kids beginning to, you know, succeed in education and go to college. You find moms next to their sons giving testimony. You find this team that he's developed. This is just one of our partner ministries. We get to get in on that. We have a a Grace DC member that sits on the board. Others that sit on the board. Others that have worked there. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying, friends, God is working through what we're doing here. Praise God. Amen? Amen. We need to hear it. And we need to remember that stuff if we're going to persevere. But in the end, right, none of this stuff is going to happen. The city is not going to become the strong city unless we're here. Unless we're present. Unless we dwell in it and live in it. That's something that we long in our church more and more. That we might find a place where we become what uh, one writer says, faithful presence in our city. And as we do that, the city will become a stronger city. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work you're doing through our city. Thank you for uh, calling us to be here. We pray that you would give us the faith, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.